Hope is what we're talking about today. We are starting a new teaching series today. It's going to take us over the next three weeks, and over these three weeks, we're going to look at three verses, three verses uh, out of the book of Romans. And hope is an appropriate thing for us to talk about, especially right after Easter. It's an appropriate time because on Easter, three weeks ago, we stood here in this room and worshiped, and we made a pretty audacious claim. And the claim that we made is that Jesus is alive, that Jesus has conquered sin and death, and through that conquering that we are a people of hope, that in Christ there are now no dead ends in life that end in tragedy, but there are sufferings and new beginnings. And we're going to talk a little bit about that over the next three weeks. For the next three Sundays, we're going to talk about what does it mean to say we're a people of hope. And actually, a better way to understand hope is not just that we're a people who claim hope, but we're actually a people who are journeying towards hope. And in these three verses, the Apostle Paul is writing and talking us about what that journey looks like. Now, when you see this banner, which is a great banner, and you see the word hope, it kind of starts and it makes you feel like everything's going to be good and happy and wonderful, and that's certainly the promise. But Walter Brueggemann is a biblical scholar who says to us that the hope we're talking about here is not what he calls shiny, happy, uh, plastic Christian hope. It's not just that like, well, we smile and we come into church and we leave the hard stuff outside and we check that at the door and we walk in and we smile saying, we're people of hope now. He says that the hope we have is a gritty hope. He calls it a hope with scars. And that it's a hope that is taking suffering and difficulty and pain, and it's about how that is redeemed and transformed. So here's the scripture passage. Romans 5, verses 3 through 5. He write, Paul writes, and not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. So this journey towards hope begins with suffering. And that's where we're going to go today. We're going to start by not moving away from our suffering or checking it at the door, but we're going to journey towards hope by moving into our suffering and into our pain. And we're going to talk today about what does it mean when Paul says that we take our suffering and that suffering produces something. It produces endurance. And then next Sunday, we're going to say, what does it mean when we say that endurance produces something? It produces character. And finally, on Mother's Day, on May 10th, we're going to talk about how we get to hope because character produces hope. What is this journey from suffering to hope? What does it really look like? And how do we think about that? And so as we begin this journey, as we start with our places of suffering, I invite you to pray with me. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask today that your hope, your hope with scars, would be a little more real to us, and that you would be more real to us as we take steps and journey towards you. In Jesus' name we pray for this. Amen. So, one of the things that we all have in common, every single one of us who's here today, is that suffering, hardship, difficulty, questions, those are a part of all of our lives. No matter who we are, no matter what our zip code is, no matter where our degrees are from, no matter what our income level is, no matter uh, how many vacation homes we have, no matter the things we have done, 
that you and I are united with people, not just with people here in this room, but we are united with all humanity, that suffering is a part of our experience. It is a part of living in a broken world. And the hope that Paul's writing about means that we move from that suffering and that suffering is changed and transformed to the point of hope. But today I want to invite you to move towards the things that are hard, to move towards the suffering and the difficulty and the pain and the questions that exist in all of our lives that all of us have. And when you really stop and think about it, suffering comes in a variety of ways, doesn't it? I mean, you think about it, there's some kinds of suffering, for example, that if we really stop and think about it, you and I are actually kind of the primary authors of our own suffering, which is a weird thing to say, but it's true, right? Now, for example, here's what I mean by that. Some of the suffering that you might be thinking about today, if I said, what's hard, what's difficult, what's a struggle in your life, where do you suffer? You might say, well, for instance, maybe money, finances, that's causing a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety, a lot of worry a lot of concern. Yeah, it's causing stress. It's causing suffering. It's causing difficulty. But a part of the cause of that is for the last few years, you've been doing what many Americans do, which is living on more than what comes in. Part of the problem that we have to do and part of the journey we have to take is looking in the mirror and saying, there's a saying that you reap what you sow. There's a part that if your suffering is because your relationship with your kids or in your family isn't what you would hope it to be, it's not what you ultimately would like it to be, but you're somebody who for the last couple of decades has spent uh, every week working 60, 65, 70 hours. You've been traveling all the time. You've been serving on every board that you can that meets at night so that you can make connections and you can continue forward. If you're too exhausted on the weekends to invest in the people around you, well, it's not that I'm minimizing that suffering. And it's not that that suffering can't change, it can, but part of the transformation is you looking and saying, I've contributed to this. I've contributed, I'm one of the authors of how this brokenness is in front of us today. It's the kind of brokenness that all of us have, and one of the reasons that we need community, and I don't just mean like people that, we're, that we kind of know in church and see on the patio, one of the reasons we need intimate community, as we've read about in Acts 2, and as we are going to be taking a gigantic push for in the fall, is for this to be a community of people who knows who they're walking with and who they can pray with. One of the reasons we need that is because we are amazing in our ability to deflect the places where we cause suffering. We have amazing abilities to be able to blame everybody else for why things aren't the way they should be today. And sometimes you need people in your life who can look at you and go, you know, I think you need to think about your part in this. Part of what we're called to do is to speak the truth and love to each other. Part of what we need is, because we're experts at doing it in other people, right? We're experts at doing it for other folks of going, well, this is why this is happening. I don't know why you can't see it. But when we sit there and say, I don't know why we keep having the same conflict in my marriage, you need people that are looking at you going, because you do this, because you respond in this way. And I don't say that to tear you down. I'm saying because you need to, to own it. We need community and help us to see because we're probably responsible for a lot more of the difficulty that exists in our own lives than we would naturally think in isolation. That's one kind of suffering. And that suffering is real and it is painful and it is hard and it's hard when you start realizing it. But it's not the only kind of suffering. There's more. There's the kind of suffering where there doesn't seem to be any explanation and you wonder where God is in the midst of enormous pain and suffering. We're seeing that right now in Nepal. 
how an earthquake can come in and just thousands of people are killed and millions of lives are changed and transformed forever in difficult ways. And you're like, where's God in that? Right? Where's God when the person that's been exercising and is healthy and eaten and done the right things goes into the doctor and they get a diagnosis where they are told that there's little or no hope? Where is it for the child that's abused or if you were a child and experienced that yourself and you're going, how is that right? Where's God in this? How does that happen? There's real suffering and pain that just is not something we cause. It just kind of rains down upon us at times and it can be unbelievably painful. And the problem and one of the difficult parts of suffering is we don't often know why. Now, that doesn't mean we don't often try to blame people for it or create reasons. Some of the most unhelpful Christian witness in recent memory has been when Christians appear on TV after great tragedies or after natural disasters or after things like 9-11. And I know that you, many of you have probably heard this, and I have too, and assign whose sin and blame is the cause of this evil that's come. That is a person that doesn't understand the full witness of Scripture around suffering. One of the difficult, hard places about suffering is that if we take the Bible seriously, the Bible itself wrestles with the fact of we don't know why there's so much suffering sometimes in the world. We don't ultimately have an answer to that. And while it may make us feel better in a moment to have a scapegoat whom to blame and to punish for the suffering that, we ex that, that exists, sometimes if we're honest, we don't get that. That's one of the reasons you don't hear many sermon series on the book of Job. It's one of the reasons you don't hear many uh, Bible studies in the book of Job. Because the book of Job is not just a place of suffering, but it's a place where we're told that our suffering in many ways doesn't have the answers we want. God removes in the book of Job at the very beginning his hedge of protection around Job. And as Job's life spirals into chaos, it's continuously said over and over again that Job was a righteous man. But he loses his family, he loses his job, he loses his money, he loses his home, he loses everything that he has built his life around. And Job sits in that going, why is this happening? How is this right? And in the middle of it, he's got three friends that come and spend some time with him, which is great. Then you've got friends who enter into suffering with you when you're struggling. But the problem is when these three friends start doing what many of us do when we see suffering, they open their mouths. And they start trying to talk about it and explain it. And they start looking at the suffering and they're going, uh, Job, what did you do to cause this? And he's like, I didn't do anything. And they're like, I think that's probably not true. I think you need to look at your life. There's got to be some sort of reason. There's something you've done. There's some sort of brokenness that's there. There's some sort of law that you violated that gives you an explanation for this. And when God finally shows up at the end of the book and Job says, why is this happening? God's answer is, you can't understand it. That's it. That's the end, right? And there's like in a sermon series, you want to tie a nice bow. I want to do that today. And I want to do that over the next three. It's like, tie, this is how it works. And this is what we do. And you're like, oh, that makes sense. And I, I get it all now. And we don't like to end it with, we don't really know. It's just that they're suffering and it happens and we can't understand it. So we don't talk about it, right? We just act like it's not there. It's difficult when we have pain that exists in our lives and the answer to how is this happening, why is it there, is we don't know. That's pain. That's real. That all of us have, if we're honest here today. And it's a pain that can take our breath away. It's a pain that has reoriented parts of our lives. You and I know suffering. We know suffering, and maybe the hardest kind of suffering is when it's not we who suffer, but it's people who we love. When we watch our friends suffer, when we watch our children suffer, 
our grandchildren suffer, or our parents suffer, or when we watch the people we love suffer, when you watch a spouse or the person you're dating suffer, when you watch them maybe making decisions that are going to bring about more pain in their life and you're powerless to stop it or do anything about it, or when you just see pain and suffering kind of raining down on them in a certain season and you can't do anything about it and you can't stop it and their suffering causes grief and anguish and pain for us, You and I are a people that if we're honest today, we are united in knowing difficulty and hardship and pain. And Paul is inviting us today to go into that place, not to act like it's not there in our faith, but to move into those places and to go on a journey towards hope, a hope with scars. And he says the first step in that journey is that we don't give in to despair and we don't give in to cynicism and we don't give in to the idea that it'll never be different, but we claim a promise. He says in verse 5, what we have to do is that we have to remember that we can hope because God's love has been poured into our hearts. It's another way of saying that God's faithfulness is poured into our hearts. And when we remember that, we endure I'm going to say that again because it's really important. Because what do we do with this suffering? How do we take this journey towards endurance? Well, what he's saying here is we have to remember that God's love has been poured out. And what that means is that our suffering will not have the final word. That God will take the difficult, jagged, painful places in our life and that a new chapter to our story will begin. And when I say redeemed, that's not the bad bumper sticker theology of in the end you'll be thankful for this. It's not that at all. It's saying that there's a promise that suffering will not be the end of the story for you. And that what we need to do is to remember when we are in moments of suffering or when we're in those places of pain, that the promise and love and faithfulness of God has not diminished and will not go away. And that when we remember that, we can then endure. And endurance doesn't mean, I can get through this, I'm tough enough. It means this won't stay this way. I can endure by holding on to the promise of God's love that a new chapter in the story will begin. And that this suffering will be redeemed. It's the story of God's people. It's the story from the very beginning. If you think about it, it's the story of Adam and Eve. It's the story at the very beginning that if you think about your suffering today, your suffering may be like theirs, that they had great suffering. They were in paradise and they made decisions. They were the authors of their own suffering and their suffering and their disobedience to God meant that they had to leave the garden. And that's what we remember. We remember the punishment that came down. We remember the suffering that they brought on themselves. But as the story moves on, that's not the end. That God has a new chapter that begins and they move forward from that place of suffering and they have long lives together and they have children and they have grandchildren and things move forward and life springs out of suffering and death. Or your suffering may be like Joseph, who we also see in the book of Genesis, whose suffering comes because he is born into a family that hates him. He is born into a family, and the family he's born into, the people that should have loved him and sheltered him and protected him and guided and nurtured him, they are jealous of who he is and his gifts, and so they sell him into slavery so that they can get him away from them. Unbelievable suffering. 
Unbelievable pain. And then not just that, but he's then falsely accused of a crime and put into an Egyptian prison cell for something he didn't do. You want to talk about somebody who could have easily given into despair, and understandably so. But God was faithful, and God's love was present for Joseph as well. And that wasn't the end of his story. That God rose him out of that prison cell and elevated him to a point of glory and leadership and faithfulness that changed the direction of people. That God was faithful. What Paul's writing about here is that we can endure because we remember the faithfulness of God. It seems simple, doesn't it? It seems like, well, the first step is moving from suffering to endurance, and how we do that is to remember. That seems pretty basic. I just got to remember the faithfulness of God. Well, yes. But here's the problem. As Jeremiah writes in his book of prophecy, you and I are really forgetful people. It'd be easy if we, oh, I just got to remember that. And then, but we forget the moment difficulties come, the moment suffering happens, we lose perspective. We forget the promises of God and we believe in that moment that darkness has really won. We believe in that moment that there's no way out. We believe in that moment that those whom we love are not going to have a new season to their life because while it seems to work out for our neighbors and while it seems to work out for the people across the street or while it seems to work out for the people sitting down the road from you today, we question if it's true for us. You can endure today in the places of suffering because God's faithfulness and love is as real for you as anyone else. You are not abandoned. You are not forgotten. You are not less valuable than anybody else who has ever existed. And your suffering will not be the end of your story. No matter who you are or what you've done, your suffering will not be the end of your story. So endure, endure, endure to see what God will do next. To close, the people of the Old Testament knew they were forgetful people. They knew that they could take this lesson and walk out the door and we'll forget it as soon as we're out there and we'll just think that the world will overtake us again. So they devised a system. It was a system by which to create a memory. It was a system by which to look at something and say, I remember the truth. And what they would do is they would build these structures. They would build these structures that were called Ebenezers. And these Ebenezers were things they had built when they came out of a time of suffering and saw the love and promise of God that gave rise to a new season. They would build this so that no matter what was going on in their lives, they could always point to it and say, God's promise is real. We've seen it before, and we're not going to lose track of that in the suffering we're going through today, but we claim that promise again. It's how you take a step in the journey towards hope. And you and I have an Ebenezer that is around us all the time. It's around us all the time, and it's become so common, we rarely even see it as an Ebenezer anymore. You'll see it this week as in your, probably in your home. You'll see it as you're driving around the city. And you'll see it in this church. We've started to mistaken it as a Christian symbol or a sign of Christianity. We're going to bring a picture of it up on the screens. And it's this. It's a cross. It's a thing that people wear around their neck. And I saw in the news recently, they were talking about different world religions, and they put it up as a symbol of Christians and Christianity. But this isn't that. It's not a religious symbol at all, as it's so much as a spiritual Ebenezer. 
It's a sign of death and suffering. It's a sign of pain because suffering wasn't just something that Adam and Eve experienced. It's not just something Joseph experienced. It's not just something Paul experienced. It's not just something that you and I experienced. It's something that God himself experienced. One of the magnificent parts of our gospel is that God's not looking today at your pain going, that must be tough, I hope you get through it. That God has actually experienced the very depths of suffering of what this world can throw at you to the point where his own son was nailed to a cross and died a horrible death because of the powers and principalities at work in this world. And as they laid his dead body in a tomb and rolled a boulder in front of it, you and I know as we go through Holy Week that as painful as it is, that's not the end of the story. That's not the end of the story. That the cross is empty. That this is a sign that God takes our suffering and transforms it and redeems it. And so this week when you see this, when you see this in your home, when you see it around someone's neck, when you see it when you're here at church, I want you to look and not just see it as a church symbol. I want you to see it for what it is. I want you to see it and remember your pain and claim and endure in the midst of it by knowing this will not be the end of my story either because of the love and faithfulness and promise of God. Remember and endure. Would you stand? I wish that we lived in a world where suffering was not real, but we don't. We live in a world where there is brokenness all around us. There is brokenness in your life here today. There is brokenness in my life here today. But no matter who you are, no matter what you're going through, remember, remember, and endure. Because your pain will not be the end of your story. Your story marches on with our God. So go forward this week. Go forward trusting. Go forward with confidence. And in your going, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you, and may it keep you and all whom you love. And God's people said together, Amen. Amen.